One of the individuals who was frequently shushed because she really wanted to talk about her dementia stayed behind. And so I said, do you want to write a letter to dementia? Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I worked with family caregivers to help them find solutions to the often challenging behaviors that come with dementia. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two because we all know laughter is the best medicine. Yes, it is. Our hope that the information we share here will give caregivers and those in their care more reasons to smile. Exactly. This episode of The Roger That Show is sponsored by Artists Senior Living, where everyone is committed to creating a more empowered care experience. That's called The Artist's Way. So what does The Artist's Way mean? It means celebrating the unique elements of every person's story and understanding that their dementia does not define them. It means creating a positive, compassionate atmosphere of opportunity, and above all else, it means caring for everyone with dignity and respect. So if you're looking for a true memory care partner and want to learn how Artist Senior Living can help you help your loved one live their passions despite diagnosis, call 240-534-3301 or visit ArtistSeniorLiving.com. That's Artists, A-R-T-I-S, SeniorLiving.com. So you and I constantly look for new and even innovative ways to engage dementia patients. We've had episodes dealing with music. We've had episodes with art, Legos, and we even had... Uh, an episode dealing with dance. Absolutely. We know that when we engage the creative mind, uh, very often somebody with dementia reconnects with the world in a very different and special way. Which brings us to today's guest, who is the creator of the Dementia Letters Project, founder of the Hem of Christ, and the granddaughter of someone who lived with vascular dementia. She accompanies those on their dementia journey, magnifying the importance of creativity and human connection by becoming relational with others in creative and dignified ways. She's a classically trained musician, visual artist, and theater maker with an academic foundation in the creative arts therapies and is a certified dementia communication specialist and certified dementia practitioner. Please welcome Kate Fassbender. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So we understand that your connection originally with the dementia world was vascular dementia. Would you like to tell us and our listeners about what you brought, what brought you into this world? Yeah, so I have always, like many people who work in dementia and aging, felt a greater connection to people who are decades older than myself growing up than my own peers. And so I was drawn to that that group naturally. And then in sixth grade is when I first heard the word dementia. And I had a classmate who said, in my family, we call that old timers disease. And while the class erupted in laughter, I something didn't sit right. I thought this isn't something that we just kind of 
joke about. We actually, there's there's something here. We need to be compassionate. And so I decided to dedicate uh, my middle school service project to working at a care community uh, who had predominantly members uh, living with dementia. So that kind of started my journey of understanding, okay, what exactly is dementia? What does this really mean? And then when I was in high school, my grandmother was diagnosed with vascular dementia. Uh, She had years and years of high blood pressure that despite her best efforts, uh, she couldn't control and it finally led to her diagnosis. And she, it was through my relationship with her and extending the relationship we had built up into that point that I really learned Um, not only about how the disease progresses and its trials that come with it, but I also learned a lot of the joys and, you know, the, the, the moments that I had with my grandmother after her diagnosis that in many ways I had because of her diagnosis, because I had made an even greater effort to, to spend time with her, to stay over for the weekend, even though I didn't need to, we were able to build and form an even deeper relationship. And I was able to understand the family perspective of what I was seeing when I was volunteering in in the care community and seeing families come in and out and their stresses and their their tears and their laughter. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the joys that come with connecting with somebody with one of the many forms of dementia, because very often, especially on the caregiver Facebook pages and the in the supportive sites, we talk a lot about the difficulties. Um, mm-hmm. Michael and I came to understand the joys of caregiving as well as, you know, all of the ups and downs. And maybe you could share a moment, a special moment or two that you had with your grandmother to, um, you know, illustrate that for people who are thinking, what do you mean there's joys in this? Yeah, the 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 memory that sits with me the strongest is uh, one of the things that I, a tradition I started with my grandmother um, when I was actually in grade school after my grandfather had a massive stroke and he himself was living in a care community was every Christmas on the third Sunday of Advent, I'd go over there and I'd help her decorate the house. And I would spend the entire weekend and we would just, we would decorate the tree. We'd listen to Christmas music. We'd just spend time just sitting and talking. And that continued after her diagnosis with dementia. And there was one Christmas about two years after her diagnosis that I noticed there was, you know, that we talk about that filter that kind of goes away with dementia. Well, that I was experiencing a moment like that. And I was, I heard stories of her childhood and of different people in her lives in ways that I, I firmly believe I would not have heard those stories had that filter still been there. And it brought us such, you know, we, we laughed and we, we continue to talk about it. And my life was enriched because of that. And I see that as a great joy now that she's gone because I have these memories that I can hold on to and now pass on to the rest of the family. You know, it's interesting. You talk about decorating for Christmas. One of the many um, tender moments with my dad was, you know, putting up the Christmas tree and he says, you know, I can help you decorate. And I figured the easiest thing for him to do would be to put the ornaments on the tree. And so I would lay them all out and he would, and I'd say, okay, dad, they're ready for you. And he would pick them up one by one and put them on the tree. And he put them all in his field of vision, Mm -hmm. which was directly right in front of him. And he would say, okay, I'm all done. And I'd say, okay, thanks, dad. And he would go up to his uh, sitting room 
and I would then spread everything around. But it was funny because everything was right there in his field of vision, not mm -hmm. around the tree and spaced and whatnot. Well, then when he would see the tree completely done, he said, wow, we did a good job with that tree. I say, yes, Dad, we did. Yeah. We did an amazing job. And he was always so proud of that, mm -hmm. um, that the trees always look nice and that he, he helped. And those are the special moments, like you said. You can't put a price tag on something like that. No, you can't. You know, and hearing stories of your dad when he, when he was living in Italy and... Um, yeah. And what it was like every day to get up, you know, and, you know, they grew their own wheat for bread. You know, they raised farm animals for food. Um, and one day he was telling me about a story that he had to take the mule into town for supplies and um, how the mule would be very difficult to get moving when it was leaving the farm and going into town. But he could barely keep up with it on the way home because the mule was was mm -hmm. here you know and that's an, that's an experience most of us don't have mm -hmm. you know um and he was a very introverted person most of the time he preferred to be on his own so whenever he decided he wanted to share we would sit down and listen for however long he was interested in talking to us or hearing from us mm -hmm. and then he'd get up and he'd say that's enough bs and go to his room and close the door <laughs> <laughs> And, and that was a direct quote. <laughs> but it's great that you got to share those type of moments with your grandmother because mm -hmm. you, a lot of times people think, I shoulda, I coulda, I would mm -hmm. if I could go back. And you took the opportunity, and that's, that's a wonderful thing that you had that insight as a junior high school and a high school um, a person. That's you know, awesome. I kind of think we're called to being caregivers. Yes. Um, uh, you know, we frequently tell people not everybody should do this. Not everybody can do this. And it's okay if you're not that person, if you can connect the person that needs care with somebody who is. But those of us who are educated by it and our world changes by it, um, we know that this is what we're meant to do. And clearly, you, you knew your path very early on, just like Michael knew he was going to be a drummer very early on, and I knew I was going to be a writer very early on. All of these things brought us to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I spent years in terms of what, when it, before I, my grandmother was diagnosed, thinking, okay, I'll always volunteer in this field but I never saw it as a profession until that moment, until I saw, oh, there are ways that I can be more uh, involved in this in a professional way that aren't a CNA, a nurse, or a doctor, which is how I previously saw careers in, in aging and dementia. Right. So share with us about the Dementia Letters Project, which drew me to you originally. Yeah, so the Dementia Letters Project, what it is today, all stems from a program that I started when I was a life enrichment specialist at a care community in Northeast Wisconsin. And it came about because it was a very um, stereotypical community. You had bingo on Wednesdays, trivia on Tuesdays, movie on Fridays, and there was this... they. The, the community was receptive to hearing ideas about other programming, but they really didn't want to 
to explore them in terms of actually offering them on the calendar. And it was also a community where the, the, the administration would shush people if they wanted to talk about their dementia. Oh, no. It was not uncommon to, you know, someone say, well, I have dementia and a person would be walking down the hall and go, shh, we don't talk about that. And that didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with the Mm. residents. And so there was one day we wrapped up trivia early because not a lot of people uh, came out that day. So it was a quick game. And one of the individuals who was frequently shushed because she really wanted to talk about her dementia um, stayed behind and... You could tell that she wanted to enter into this conversation. She wanted to share what was going on because she was at that stage of dementia where she knew she had dementia. She knew what was going on and likely what was down the road for her. And you know, that carries a lot, a lot on someone's shoulders. And so I knew it probably wouldn't be possible for us to have a dialogue as we traditionally would. And so I said, do you want to write a letter to dementia? And so I grabbed paper, I grabbed a pen, and we sat at a a nearby table. And I wrote, Dear Dementia, at the top of the page. And then I said, what do you want to, what do you want to tell Dementia? How do you want, how do you want to kind of express all these things that are going on? And she, she was at that stage, she still could write, she still had that, that form of communication, um, was pretty strong. And so she wrote her letter, she signed her name, and at the end of it, I said, what do you want to do with this? Do you want me to take it home and mail it to you? Do you want to mail it to yourself, put it in a drawer or rip it to shreds and never see it again? And she wanted to put it in a drawer and save it there and say, you know, I may never see it again, but it'll be there when my family gets my things. And so for her, it was this great release because she was able to Mm. say all that was going on in her mind, what she was feeling about this, this period and chapter in her life. And word got out that I had done this to other residents, and it suddenly became this kind of, you know, after I would clock out, I'd go back up and we'd we'd write letters. And everybody is different on different stages of dementia. So sometimes the letter was collage. Sometimes it was just coloring. Sometimes they'd share their story with me and I would write it. And you had then a, a mix of people wanting to send it, sh- you know, shred it up. And dear dementia turned into dear, you know, their child, their past self, their parents who had passed away, and it just kept expanding. And then time came when it was it, it was it was my time to leave the care community, and I was going to go off on my own and kind of really dive into the educational elements that I had been seeing and wanting to explore. And I decided to name my company after this project that I created because it really was what it opened my eyes not only to what what life enrichment really should look like especially when we use you know person-centered care well person-centered care should include talking about your dementia if you want to talk about your dementia um, and it also showed me the education that needs to happen in our care communities and so that's kind of how how it how it started you know it's it's interesting because when I was looking at the um, Dementia Letters Project, my first impression, uh, rightly or wrongly, was kind of like the old-time pen pals, where you write to somebody, and then that person writes back. And I remember having relatives that lived far away that I became pen pals with mm-hmm. um, when I was a kid. And, and so I thought that it was something similar to that, 
but it's really not. It's it's not, but there is a foundation of that there because prior to this, you know, the first letter being written, there were always conversations about loving to receive birthday cards and send Christmas cards right. and how much people mourn the fact that no one wrote letters to each other anymore. You know, hmm. p- people going, well, my grandchild wants me to have this phone so I can text with them. Why can't we just, you know, send postcards and all these different things. So there was that underlying conversation that happened uh, before this even came about, but it has never evolved into to a pen pal sort of situation, but it's, its roots are there. You know, as somebody who, um, when I'm not doing this, when I'm not talking to people about something that I'm so passionate about, I'm very much an introvert person. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I, you know, I always wrote mm-hmm. short stories and in books now and some very bad poetry over time. Ah. But I honestly feel that I express myself much better in the written word than I do in actually speaking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And there are there are lots of people like me in the world that feel that same way who really miss the written communication one on one. Um and I think what you're doing and what you're offering people, it doesn't seem quite so intimidating to try and find the right word on a piece of paper. Right. So everything involved in this process, you know, pulling up the memories, expressing it in the written word, um, taps into a, a part of the brain that um, gives some relief to somebody who has a hard time expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much like you. I I prefer writing before I you know were to enter a conversation. I'm much more comfortable in in just putting pen to paper and getting my thoughts out thoughts out that way. You know, in the whole letter writing process, not only is it a great part of you know the generation who we're currently serving um, in these care communities, not only is it part of their 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 formation and their how they've you know known to interact with each other, but we're also finding little pieces of research now coming out saying the importance of handwriting, of letter writing, of even just penmanship note taking instead of typing it on a computer. And so I think all these things as we move, you know, further and further into the generations that didn't write letters as much this process is still going to be very powerful and very healing um, for people living with dementia. Now, I have to ask, you say um, this is a continuing process. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of any of these letter projects been turned into, say, a memoir? I am not, no. I'm aware of more of the the oral storytelling and turning it into things like that, but not, not like this, no. Uh, I was just curious. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the fact also that sometimes you did the writing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there could be language issues. There could be um, mobility issues, mm-hmm. but they still have that story to tell. So when we're sharing this with our, with our listeners, we want to let them know that even if the person in their care isn't going to physically do the writing, they can still share this. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have maybe a, a couple of tips on how to get the person started? You know, you, the first one you said, would you like to write a letter mm-hmm. to dementia? Um, what would be a good way to sit down with somebody and invite them to start this process? 
I think one of the keys to success for this is there has they have to um, have expressed in some way that they want to share. They want to share, you know, a story or um, their their emotions related to their diagnosis or whatever. Um, because I think without that, you're just forcing another activity mm-hmm. for them to do that they may not want to do. But if they've expressed interest, I think it. If if you are a family member, you you know them very well, and I think it'd be easy for you to jump in. Just you know, start as a conversation. Maybe you start writing down what what they're saying in a, in a conversation, and then pass it along and allow it to evolve into a letter. Um, kind of from a moment of I want to record your story to here, I want you to to actually write it in letter form. Um, but if you don't know the person, like if you're a CNA, and, you know this is maybe your only third day. I think, you know, a lot of it starts with, okay, finding out what are they drawn to? Are they, you know, are they able to write? Are they, are they very open and and talking about who they are? Where are they in terms of their, their, you know, ability to, to use different materials and then providing the best materials for them? So for some people, it may be paints on paper. For some people, it may be collage. Um, And if you, you can kind of get a sense of who is more apt to write in words versus images, kind of leaning that way. And then it comes down to just not just finding a moment, being, a, being able to have the flexibility and the freedom to, to find a moment when they're having a really good day and take advantage of that good day. Maybe sit in their favorite spot with a cup of tea or coffee or, or you know, some break bread together uh, in some way like that. And then just see how it evolves. Um, maybe write dear at the top of the page as kind of a prompt to go, okay, we're writing a letter now and then pass it over to them and then see how they react and then pick up the pen if you need to. Um, but it really is a lot of kind of just feeling it out and not just saying, okay, we're going to write a letter today. Right. I know very often with um, Mike's dad, it was Right after mealtime, mm-hmm. when he decided that he would be, he would get chatty and start talking about memories like making his own skis to go skiing in the mountains in Italy, um, or you know sharing some of his ven- adventures as a young man, dancing the tango in the kitchen. And I remember asking him one time, "Did you steal a kiss once in a while?" And he's like, "I never stole anything." <laughs> <laughs> And, and once again, it goes back to those moments that you hold near and dear mm-hmm. through all the pressures of being a caregiver. Yeah. There, there are those moments. But uh, before we go, I have to bring up the fact that you are a Purple Angel ambassador. Yes. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Norms McNamara was actually on our podcast back in episode number 58. Okay. For those listeners that don't know, Purple Angel Ambassadors, we're an international group dedicated to raising awareness regarding dementia and dementia care. Yeah. This this world of caregiving is huge, but it's also a small community in many ways. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of the beauty of it. And because when you're working in in aging and specifically more in dementia, it can feel daunting. You know, we're hearing, you know, and seeing all these things that we wish could be different. 
And we're, you know, some of us have had that family experience and we go, oh, I wish I had, no, I wish I knew this. Why didn't I have this resource when I was going through this with my loved one? And, um, and I think in realizing, you know, that, you know, just sitting here, I didn't know you were purple angel ambassadors, <laughs> but, you know, knowing that we're, there's, there is this net of people out there all over the globe who are, are out there doing good and beautiful work. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of searching to find them and that, you know, to, at, when we work together, the, the tasks aren't as daunting. And, you know, we can make a difference in terms of how the world treats dementia through that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When Mike's dad first came to live with us and I reached the point where it was evident that he shouldn't be alone and I was making the decision to leave, to leave my job, so many people asked me, why would you do that? You know, why don't you just, you know, place him in a care home? Um, And my answer was, I'm setting an example for my children. And I really, I truly did mean it. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, 20 years later, it's even more important that I set an example for my children and get as much information in front of them as possible. Yes. So thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You may make my several years in the future, I still hope. Yeah. a lot much more enjoyable than it would have been otherwise. <laughs> so is the Dementia Letters Project just local there in New England, or how can people reach it that aren't right there locally with you? Yeah, so it it was locally, but much like a lot of other organizations over the last two years, I have really moved virtually as well. So all of my educational offerings are now also done uh, in person when, when possible, and virtual, as well as life enrichment programs that I do that either create specifically for a community or a person or things that I'm pulling from my own archive. Um, I do everything from live in person, well, like live on Zoom, or pre-recorded that a community can use at a later date. So I have moved virtually, um, so it's now more than just just my small community. Now, um, I saw a number of your educational opportunities. Mm-hmm. Can people that need additional training, can they get CEUs for those? I'm currently working on that. It's a long, okay. it's yes, a long it process. Is. Yes, it is. Um, but I'm currently working on that, yes. Okay. So, so hopefully in the near future, I'll be able to actually offer CEUs. At the moment, it's just kind of for your own foundation of, of understanding. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because you're right. It is a long, painful, hard (laughs) process. (laughs) Well, Miss Kate, it has been an absolute joy having you on the show. Yeah, same here. You are such a delight. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, it's been a great great joy. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. And one of the things that definitely stayed with me that you can do storytelling in images as well as in words whether you're doing with page or you're coloring or you're making collages, there are different ways to get your story told. And and I think one of the most important things is when we started this conversation with Kate was that there are many joys in caregiving. Yes, you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Yes, you sometimes feel like you're in a round room and you can't find a corner to sit in. But if you look, there are many, many joys, and unfortunately, you don't see them until after the person's gone, that you look back and see that there were some joys. And that was 
in the very, very beginning, and I wanted to point it out here at the end to reiterate that fact. Another thing I liked was when you asked about the, um, how do you get somebody started? And she said, well, you kind of have to have them express an interest. You can't give them something else that they, that they have to do because you're just going to meet resistance. Absolutely. The immovable force and the irresist, or the irresistible <laughs> force and the immovable object, right? Um, that was something that I took away. And also, there are dementia careers outside of being a doctor or a nurse. As we all well know. <laughs> yes, there are ways to assist in the community. And, you know, when we're going along with you know, how do you get somebody started? I think it was really important what Kate said was about, you hear what they have to say. If they, if they want to talk about a memory, if they feel like they want to, we have to let them do that, not, not shush them. Yes. To find out more about Kate and get links to her website and books, or to learn about our sponsor, Artist Way, visit rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.